Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 272nd episode of the podcast, but this is the second edition of the Cast One series. The Cast One series, which kicked off last week with How Fly Fishing Works, is a series that explores the fundamentals of fly fishing. And I put this together for two main purposes. The first is to serve as an introductory series of podcasts for anybody who has just got into fly fishing or is interested in fly fishing. The second purpose of this podcast series is to give those who've been fly fishing for a year or five years or even 20 years, uh, an opportunity to reflect back on the most essential components of what makes fly fishing fly fishing. This might be helpful for your own mind as you're working through taking your fly fishing to the next level to focus on the fundamentals, or, and more likely, this is probably what you use it for, you are going to pick something up in this podcast series that then you are going to be able to turn around and use as you articulate how to fly fish to someone in your life. So the first episode of the series, How Fly Fishing Works, was received very well, both in feedback and in downloads. And so hopefully we will continue that on a topic that is one of my favorite things to talk about because you have to get through uh, what we're talking about today. You have to make some decisions here before you can actually go fly fishing. And that is figuring out what your fly rod's going to be, what your reel's going to be, and what line you're going to use. To be honest, it's very ambitious to talk about all three of these things in 20 minutes, but I'm going to give it the old college try. And if I have to bail out, then I'll save one for the next episode, which actually uh, would fit in well, because we're going to talk about gear for the next few episodes. Because, and, and as a little bit of an aside, but also a justification for this, uh, one of the big barriers in a lot of people's minds, and it's, it's legitimate actually, when it comes to fly fishing, is the whole stable of gear that they have to look at and make decisions on. Um, sometimes it's easiest to 
to go out and just go fishing with somebody who's going to hand you stuff. But a lot of people these days like the DIY method, uh, doing it yourself, going out and buying what they need, even buying low priced options and, and starting from scratch. And so hopefully uh, this is going to give you a little bit of information when it comes to that. So fly rods. First of all, they're rods. They're not poles. Don't call them poles. I'm not dogmatic about a whole lot in fly fishing, but the term fly pole, it just doesn't sit right. So they're fly rods. And most fly rods you find are going to be between seven and nine feet. Of course, there's shorter versions. And of course, there's longer versions. And I would say it's worthwhile for the seasoned angler, somebody who's going to be fishing in a diverse set of circumstances to own rods that are shorter than seven feet and longer than nine feet. But most fly rods are going to fall between that seven and nine foot range. And this might seem long if you are used to conventional angling, because the vast majority of conventional fishing rods are going to be between six and seven feet long, both for spinning and casting. Of course, there's outliers in that, but by and large, the longest conventional rods are going to be the length of the shortest traditional fly rod lengths. Now, why have a rod that's so long? Doesn't that make it hard to cast and move around trees? Well, it actually does. I make no bones about it. It does make it tricky to move and cast around trees. But you have to remember why we are fly fishing. We're fly fishing because we like it difficult. No, not really. We're fly fishing because we are, instead of casting a heavy lure that pulls our uh, very, very uh, light line, we're using heavy line that will pull a, uh, a, a fly that is potentially weightless. And so to do that, we need to have a rod made of a material tapered in such a way that it can transfer energy from where you are holding that rod to the tip of that rod that will move that fly line, whether it be 20 feet, 40 feet, 60 feet, or in some saltwater situations, 80 plus feet, so that you can put that fly where you want it. And so a couple of quick things about the fly rod. The length is helpful in generating that line speed. There's other benefits to having that length that will come in when we talk about presentation a couple of weeks down the line. That is to say, there's benefits once you made your fly cast to having a long fly rod, but that's not for today. But it's worth noting that uh, it's not just the length that's going to give you that flexibility that generates that energy that moves that fly line through the air. The material that that fly rod is made of and then the taper that is applied to that material are going to contribute to that fly rod effectively and efficiently putting the energy into that line as you move it. The three main materials that you're going to find fly rods in are graphite, fiberglass, and bamboo. Now, everyone loves the idea of a bamboo fly rod, and you can get an, an inexpensive bamboo fly rod, but with bamboo in particular, you do get what you pay for. So a lot of the custom-made bamboo rods, which are handmade, they, they have to be, are going to be quite pricey. And so consequently, because there are similar uh, performing materials out there, and, and a lot of people would argue they're better performing materials in a lot of the uh, quantitative uh, categories, uh, that you're not going to necessarily have to go buy a bamboo fly rod. Uh, fiberglass was popular for a number of decades um, before graphite came into the market, but both of these materials are available. But I would say nine out of 10 fly rods you're going to encounter at a fly rod shop are going to be graphite, with the remaining few being fiberglass and a bamboo rod or two if they have those in stock. But all of these materials 
are incredibly efficient at transferring energy from your motion to that line, which creates the speed you need to make the cast. So without going into too much detail, you're probably familiar with a fly, what a fly cast looks like, at least in generalities. It's the back and forth motion where that line straightens out behind you, and right before it straightens out, where there's still a little bit of a cupped curl in that line, then you start making that forward motion and then it straightens out in front of you and it allows that fly to land very gently and gingerly with finesse on the water, not creating a great disturbance so that you're presenting that fly in a very natural way. Bugs don't usually land with a splash. They land without making even a dimple. And so that's what you're trying to imitate. Uh, the same thing is true if you're throwing a crab for bonefish down in the Bahamas. Crabs don't hit the water with a big splash. I suppose if they're dropped by a, a bird, they, they, they are. But if, uh, if you're trying to be sneaky, you want that thing to seem like it's been there the whole time. So that is an essential part of the of, of understanding the fly cast is it is this gentle unrolling of the back cast and then unrolling of the forward cast. And by having a long fly rod made of a material that can conduct that energy and transfer that energy from your hand up those seven to nine feet, and it can then roll that line out and push that line in front of you. So uh, the taper of the rod is, is another aspect of this that I'm not going to go into too much detail, but effectively there are slow, medium, medium fast is a significant category, even though it straddles two, and fast action fly rods. And basically it's how long it takes for that rod to recover when you're making one of those motions. So you can imagine that when you have uh, something flexible, whether it be a um, you know a, a reed or a stick from your your yard um, or or anything else, um, if you were to swing that thing to one side, how long would it take if it's a flexible material for it to snap back to its original shape? And uh, effectively, at a very a very minute level, that is the difference between something like a medium and a medium fast fly rod. It's something that you can, with with only a little bit of time, become perceptive of. But what that does is it does impact the kind of cast that you make. But I'm going to just straight up say that a medium fast fly rod is a great place for a beginner to start because it has enough responsiveness that it is going to give you a lot of punch. It's going to move that energy from your motions, that fly rod easily, but it is not so quick that you don't have opportunities to identify when you've made mistakes in your casting stroke. And trust me, you're going to make mistakes in your casting stroke. I can say that with great confidence because I've been doing this for 25 years and I make mistakes in my casting stroke. And so a medium or a medium fast action rod is going to have enough power to push that line, but it's also going to not go so fast that you're not going to have an opportunity to make corrections and straighten that cast out before you continue on with whatever your next motion is. So that's a lot of information right off the bat, but uh, here's, here's what I want to kind of kind of round out the fly rod conversation with. If you go to a big box store, you go to a sporting goods store that sells fly rods in put together kits, and you buy say a nine foot five weight. Oh goodness. We have to talk about weights, but we'll get to there in a second. You might see that as you get online or as you go through the store, a nine foot five weight. 
That is a rod that is going to be useful for you in almost all of your warm water situations. So that's like the bass and the panfish that live in your ponds and almost all of your trout fishing situations. But at the same time, it's kind of like a hammer. So if you go to the hardware store and you buy a hammer, you can use that hammer to do almost anything that that is required of a tool that hammers and nails and that pries things out of, of wood using the claw. But as you do more construction, carpentry, home remodeling, you come to understand that there's other types of hammers that have different ounce weights to them, that have different shapes, that are more beneficial to certain circumstances and certain situations. And that's true of fly rods as well. So a lot of people start out with that nine foot or eight and a half foot five weight, and you're going to be able to use that for so many situations and circumstances, and you're going to be well served with that rod for many, many years. And I say that as someone who has a lot of fly rods, and I want to encourage you, though, to be okay with what you have to start. But I mentioned something before, and I think I need to add some information because this is an integral part of understanding fly fishing, and that is the rods, which usually is your first purchase because your rod is going to affect your cast the most. Um, fly line is the second most important thing. Now, actually, of course, this is all with the caveat of you. You you are what's going to affect your, your cast the most. But once, uh, you know, the, the tools, uh, the rod is number one, the line is number two, uh, but you, you are actually the, the greatest influence on your cast. Um, we get to understand the weight. So rod weight and line weight correspond. So you go buy a fly rod, let's say five weight fly rod, and then you will, generally speaking, there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, buy a five weight fly line. Now the line weight uh, uh, scale basically starts at zero. There are double zeros and triple zeros, but basically starts at zero. Um, and even that some people say is a bit of a novelty and goes up to 14. I'm sure there are something that's bigger than that, that people use when they try to catch whale sharks and whatnot. But um, most of your fishing is going to occur between a three and a 12. A three is the lightest. A 12 is the heaviest. And again, there's, there's weights above that. But what would you use these for? What species? Now we're going to talk about species here in a few episodes, but what species would you lose these for? Usually something like trout, you would use a three, four, five, six. Something like the panfish in your local pond, you'd use four, five, or six. Something like smallmouth or largemouth bass, you'd use six, seven, eight. If you're fishing um, and the coast and you're casting from the shore, whether you're wading in or you're kind of tooling around in a kayak uh, for saltwater, you'd use something like uh, eight, nine, ten. If you're out on open water and you're fishing for a larger species, you're probably use 9, 10, 11. If you're going for those big game, you're going to go 12 and up. Now, I left off a number of fish species, but we'll get to those in, the, in a little bit. But you can kind of see uh, this chart that I, that I basically read um, gives you an idea of where these weights fit on what you're going to be pursuing. So you're going to find a rod and a line that match each other. And that is going to be very, very helpful in not only allowing you to pursue certain species, but almost more importantly, to cast a certain weight line that is going to effectively pull certain 
size flies. Because when it comes down to it, that's ultimately what you're trying to do is put the right size fly and the right fly in front of the fish. Now, the rod also helps in your ability to fight that fish. We're, we're wanting to be ethical, even if we want to catch and kill and eat the fish, which again, is not outside the rules, although most fly fishers do practice a catch and release ethic. Uh, catching in a, a fish quickly is your best way of making sure that thing ends up back swimming away or in your frying pan. And so you want to make sure you have a rod that is going to have the, enough backbone in it. You're going to be able to pull that fish in, whether it be a bass or whether it be a, um, a largemouth bass or a striped bass. You're going to be able to pull that thing in quickly enough that you get it in hand. And so that is another reason, outside of just the ability to cast the right kind of flies, of why you want to make sure that you're in the right range. Um, now, certainly there are other schools of thought that uh, that shoot for a much heavier rod or shoot for a much lighter rod than what I talked about in the various species. But again, these are general guidelines that are worth thinking about as you're just starting. Now, I have to say, uh, there's so much more to talk about when it comes to fly rods. But if you are interested, first of all, you go to castingacross.com. There's article after article after article talking about fly rods, including fly rod reviews, ways to think about fly rods, and even the minutia of selecting fly rods for very particular situations. So that's out there. But I want to move on now to reels. Because although, like I said, I think for most fly fishing situations, especially those that involve a lot of casting, um, and there are a lot of fly fishing situations that don't involve a lot of casting. And we'll talk about those probably in a couple episodes. But when you are really having to cast your, your, your fly out, your fly line can be as important, if not more important, than your reel. That being said, the reel does more than just hold line. But in distinction to conventional angling, where you are retrieving your line using that action of the reel, whether you're using a spinning reel or you're using a, a casting reel, and as you turn that handle, it winds that line in, and that's actually how you retrieve your lure or your bait. In fly fishing, as we talked about last week, you're more often than not, I would say with, with only a few odd exceptions, you're going to be retrieving that line by stripping that line and using your the, not the hand that you're holding the rod in, but using the other hand to pull that line in in short strips um, to, to either pick up the slack that's being created as that fly is drifting towards you in current or to impart some sort of motion and movement on that fly. The, the reel, though, is there not only to hold the line that you're not using, because a fly line is going to be between uh, 75 and, a, and 100 feet, more or less. Um, but it's also when you get a fish on, you can now use that reel to fight the fish. Um, but you have a great mechanical advantage on that fish in that seven to nine foot fly rod. Um, so you have a greater mechanical advantage on the fish in fly fishing with your rod, um, even though that reel is a little bit more rudimentary. That being said, when you're fighting fish that are either large fish or fish that are in large rivers, and it's remarkable how two fish from two river systems, one that's in a small, slow-moving creek or pond versus the exact same size fish in a large river, how much harder that large river fish fights. But they actually have drag systems in fly reels as well. And this, of course, is a tension that is created using a spring, that is created using some discs and actual friction that gets applied as you uh, torque down that disc onto that reel. Um, and these are all, you know, concealed and semi to not very complicated mechanisms that apply pressure so that once that 
line has been reeled in as you're pulling that fish in that it is now not going to let that line out in a free spool. It's not just going to flow out as that fish runs, but it's actually going to apply some pressure. So the pressure that, that that reel applies, as well as the pressure that your long fly rod is applying as it is bending and pulling against that fish, that's where you get your advantage as you're fighting that fish. Especially when you're fighting harder fighting fish, though. Everything from large river trout to smallmouth bass, certainly your saltwater species and those big toothy fish you've probably seen, muskie and pike and things like that. It is very helpful to be able to get that line out of, um, you know, just sitting at your feet as you've been stripping it in or out on the water and quickly get it on the reel because it's going to be a longer fight and you're going to need every advantage you can get, again, to play that fish quickly and safely so you can get it to hand. So trout reels can be incredibly basic. They really just have like a little, uh, it's not even a spring as you think of a spring, like a, a bouncy spring. It is really just a little metal clip that goes into the teeth of a gear and it makes it so that that spinning ass portion of that reel doesn't free spin, but it has that little metal clip that causes it to stop as it turns. And in doing so, it slows it down ever so slightly. Reels like that called click and pull reels are incredibly popular among trout anglers because there's not many moving parts and there's not a lot of weight involved. And so it's a very simple reel that is going to do the job. But those more advanced disc drag reels are going to be something that uh, you want to utilize as you are fishing in more complicated fish fighting situations. But for both situations, whether you are fighting small trout and small panfish with your little click reel or big game fish with your disc drag reel, you need to know how to fight fish well. So you really can't buy your way into fighting fish well with the rod or the reel, but we're going to talk about fighting fish in a coming episode. But that's why you might see a disparity in prices where a click reel might come in well under $100 uh, and, and really well-made ones, of course, over 100 But then the disc drag reels, they jump up in the two, three, four $400 relatively quickly. And it's because of the complexity of the mechanism. Whether it uh, warrants that price or not, that's where the market is. But that's just something to know about. And again, those reels will have a designation as to the weight, the weights that that reel is built for. Usually it's not just one weight. Usually it's a four, five or a five, six, seven, which means that it can hold um, well without creating too tight to the little coils of the fly line or being too heavy to balance that fly rod. Uh, the, the line weights five and six and seven. So you buy a six weight rod, you can get a reel that says five, six, seven or five, six or something like that. And then of course you get your six weight line to go in that. Now that's another thing that's worth mentioning. It is not as easy as just going out and buying a rod and a reel. Because as I mentioned a moment ago, balance is so very important. To have a rod that is not too front heavy or a reel that does not make your rod too back heavy matters. And so you might have an incredibly just just whisper light fly rod and this big clunky reel. It may be rated for the same uh, line, but if it isn't, if it doesn't feel right and, and feel is something you would, you'll pick on it quickly, even if you haven't fly fished a lot. If it's not balanced right, it's not going to cast right. And this is where relying on the expertise of a fly shop or buying a pre-made fly rod and reel combo can be very, very helpful. So much more to say about reels. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of reel content over at castingacross.com. But I did want to talk about fly line because it is part of this three-tiered terminal tackle of fly fishing. 
So the line, again, matters a lot because the line itself actually has a taper. Unlike conventional fishing, where you have a strand of monofilament that has been extruded and is one consistent diameter from where it ties onto your lure and to where it ties onto your reel for, you know, 125 yards, wherever it is, fly line, because again, we're casting the line and it just so happens to be pulling that fly with it. Fly line has a taper. It goes from very narrow at the end, the tip that's closest to the line to the fly. There's something in between the the, the line and the fly. We'll talk about that next week. Um, there's there's it's most narrow there, and then it has a taper up to a belly. So it's the thickest part of the fly line, and in some situations, it can be twice as thick as the tip of the fly line. So it bubbles up, and then after about maybe. 10, 15, 20, 25 feet, it tapers back down to the running line, which is again, a very narrow taper. And the idea is, is that even though it's not perceptible when the line's up in the air and you're casting, you have what is effectively a weighted, more weight, heavily weighted portion of that fly line that you are sending behind you and then sending in front of you. So even though it looks like a relatively uh, similar diameter piece of fly line, there's actually a heavier chunk of that fly line, what's called the belly of the taper that you're casting behind you and in front of you. Now, there are lots of different tapers that have lots of different purposes that can help make things easier or even make things more complicated in various circumstances. But back to my hammer analogy, a nice general purpose fly line is going to allow you to do almost everything you need to do. Certainly all the things that you are going to want to do when you are starting out. And so once more, I'm an advocate for getting a pre-made combo to start or having a fly shop employee walk you through some basics and some essentials, not getting a bunch of upsells. But if you are going to get upsold, fly line is actually the one that I would suggest you get upsold on. The reason being is for $25 to $50 more, you can go from normal fly line to the top of the line fly line, and it will be more durable. It will cast better, and uh, it's just a, a great thing to add to your beginning fly fishing um, ensemble. But if you don't want to do that, it's not going to kill you. You can cast well with relatively uh, bad fly line. One more word on fly line. There's a lot we could talk about, and all fly line is is a nylon core, most companies, nylon core with a, um, with a, a PVC exterior. And so they're able to shape that PVC and extrude it out to create that taper. So most of them are going to float. Some of them are going to sink. Some of them, their tips are going to sink. But for most beginning angling, uh, you're going to want a floating fly line. But you don't cut this. So you don't tie, again, you do not, if you're listening to this and doing things live, uh, you don't cut the tip of that fly line, like cut it back every time you tie a new fly. First of all, you're going to realize you can't get the tip of that fly line into the uh, the tip of that fly. Uh, but uh, you also don't want to do that because again, it's something that does cost quite a bit, but you should get season after season after out of it if you take care of it well. We'll talk about kind of your first time with your gear here in, in a few weeks, but this has been a incredibly rapid run through three of the most essential things that you are going to have on your person when you're going to go fishing. But two things as I, as I close, first of all, I want you to remember that, uh, you, your gear is only as good as you. And secondly, uh, you, you don't need the best gear to have the most fun. Uh, I absolutely love rods, reels, line. I just enjoy them. I enjoy just the aesthetic aspect of it and, the, and using them. But remember, they are tools to get you to fish. So 
questions, comments, even accusations about rods, reels, and line, let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com. I'd be happy to interact with you. Once again, head over to the website and you're going to be finding all sorts of stuff about these three topics that go into detail that you might not have even thought was imaginable. This week on the website, so this Cast One series has got me thinking about how I think about gear, and I have just gotten into skiing, and I mean that like super novice beginning, I'm doing it because my kids are doing it, but I'm having a lot of fun. So as I walk into these ski shops, or even worse, I get online to look at equipment and gear, I get a taste of what it's like for the brand new fly fisher. And so this article kind of is a bit of an encouragement for the new angler. And it's also a uh, kind of come back down to earth moment for somebody who's been fishing for a long time just to remember that we need to be patient with folks that are just starting fishing. Because if you were to pick a hobby that you've never engaged in and walk into that pro shop, no matter how athletic you are, no matter how well versed you are in just kind of everyday life, there's going to be a significantly steep learning curve to go from entry level to intermediate level. And I definitely had a taste of that. Wednesday's article is called the culture of the fly fishing industry. So very briefly, uh, this is just one more article of me talking about how cool the fly fishing community is. Uh, there's uh, four folks that are putting on a party. It is a kind of a closed door industry only party at, at the fly fishing show in Edison in this coming weekend uh, when this is being recorded. And it is the fly fishing show itself, Cross Current Insurance, Kismet Outfitters, and Oakpool, a digital marketing company. And they are putting on an industry party, both for so the industry folks who've been at the vendor booths all day can kind of have a chance to unwind, uh, but also to raise money for three incredibly worthwhile causes. And they are the the American Museum of Fly Fishing, uh, Casting for Recovery, and the Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And uh, last year, they raised $18,000 at this little event, and this year, it's planned to even be bigger. But the, the, the point of the article is to say, yeah, this is happening, but also, these are the kind of people that you patronize when you when you spend money at fly fishing shows, when you uh, book guided trips, when you buy fly fishing gear. It's people that are invested in the same kind of causes that you are invested in. And uh, it's the whole, the rising tide raises all of the ships kind of deal in fly fishing, that these causes and concerns are the kind of thing that everybody in the fly fishing industry is generally in support of. So it's a good group of people. This week's recommendation is actually to go to the article and click on those three nonprofits, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, the American Museum of Fly Fishing, and Casting for Recovery. If you're a new to angling, there are three groups that are worth learning about, and if you've been around for a long time, maybe you can figure out how you can just know more about them, maybe even support them. So check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes of this podcast's page over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.